Pray with me, please. Father, we have opened your precious word. You have given to us, God the Holy Spirit, who is the only infallible teacher of your word. And so we would ask that we might have his ministry to our hearts and to our minds. And as a result, may we we be more like Jesus than when we came in this place this morning. Thank you for your precious word and your ministry to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to talk with you just a little bit this morning about divorce. Now, don't run ahead of me. I'm not talking about a divorce which takes place in a courtroom between a husband and wife because of incompatibility. The divorce I'm speaking of takes place in the life of a child of God. It is a divorce between what he hears and what he does. But make no mistake about it, it is a divorce. Along with a host of other preachers, I have often wondered if the church doors, not these right here, but the ones we walk out of at the close of this hour of service, I've often wondered if they didn't contain some kind of chemical or some kind of embedded magnet which has the capability of just removing everything we've heard in church when we walk out the door. I believe we are exposed to God's truth when we come to Wake Chapel Christian Church. I labor to do that in the pulpit. And we have some excellent Sunday school teachers. We have some of the finest Sunday school teachers I believe you're ever going to find. They do a terrific job. They work hard. They prepare. And they come ready to teach God's Word. My question about the, the church doors is simply because I wonder how much of that truth goes with us. I think that should be a legitimate question for all of us. How much of God's truth that we hear in a worship service goes with us when we walk down the steps out there, when we get in our cars, when we go home, when we go to work tomorrow, and just move through life? How much of God's truth that we are exposed to on Sunday morning in Sunday school and in worship service, how much of it goes with us? A pastor in a very large church, a man whom I enjoy reading, and I know one or two of you know who he is. He's with the Lord now, but he pastored a church in Chicago for over 30 years. His name was A.W. Tozer. Mr. Tozer wrote these words. There is an evil which is in effect upon the Christian religion, which in its effect upon the Christian religion may be more destructive than communism, Romanism, and liberalism combined. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. He continues, To any intelligent observer of our human scene, who heard Sunday morning's message and later watched Sunday afternoon's conduct of those who heard the message would conclude that he has been examining two distinct contrary religions. 
Imagine that. He continues. It appears that the thrill of feeling right but not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right is prevalent. So, divorce between theology and practice becomes permanent. This divorce between theology and practice is what James is talking about in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. I invite your attention to that passage this morning. Now, before I begin to look at it, I'm going to violate a principle which most ministers were taught in seminary. And that is, don't ask the congregation to do something for you. I want to ask you this morning to do something for me. And that is, during these next 25 minutes or so, Please do not think of the name of an individual that you think really needs to hear this message. Please do not sit in the pew and say, Wow, I wish so-and-so were here. He sure needs to hear this. But I want you to think only of the person who is sitting in your seat. Did you do that? That said, I want us to look at these verses. There are some general observations that James begins with, and then he moves to the specific. General observations, chapter 1, verse 19. James says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let every one of you be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I read more than I really intended. The first part of the verse is what I want to look at right now. This you know, my beloved brethren. There are three general observations here. The first one is, this is family truth. This is family truth. Look at the way James expresses it. This you know, what? This you know, my beloved brethren. Or my dear brothers. This is an indication of James' love and care and concern for those in his spiritual family, those to whom he is writing. He loves them. And yes, there are some things in the book of James that are rather harsh at first blush. We read them and say, mm, boy, that's tough. But the love that James has for his spiritual family removes that harshness. That wasn't James' intent at all. He loved them. So this is family truth, my beloved brethren. Second, not only is it family truth, but it's personal truth. Notice that it says in verse 19, let everyone, let everyone. This is something that each member of the family is to do. It is something for each member of the family of God. Let everyone, one expositor writes very simply, covers all of us like a blanket. And I think he's right. Let every one of you 
So it's family truth, it's personal truth, and then it's logical truth. It follows a very clear progression. James talks about preparing for the truth. And he gives us some things to do in preparation to receive the truth. And then he talks about the reception of the truth. That's very logical, isn't it? You prepare for this and you do this. Very logical. And James comes from the general to the specific. And he begins the specific instructions in verses 19b through verse 21. 19b. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I suspect many of you this spring planted some flowers in your yard, and now you just continue to pray that the rain comes so they'll grow. But you planted some flowers in your garden. Many of you did. Some of you, I've heard you speak of the few tomato plants that you planted. And you're hoping that they are prospering. You prepared the soil before you planted. Flowers, tomatoes, anything else. You the farmer prepares the soil before he plants. Preparation comes first. And James sets forth some specific preparation for us. He had referred to the word of truth back in verse 18. Look back there with me. In the exercise of his will, he brought uh, us forth by the word of truth. And then we read just a moment ago, he speaks about receiving the implanted word. But before the reception, there should be preparation. And there are some specific steps to the preparation that James gives. The first one is to have an open ear. Be quick to hear, he says in verse 19. If God's word is to lodge in our hearts, we must first hear it. As I thought about this, I remembered the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly his early life and his uh, dealings with the Pharisees. Time after time, I didn't count the number of times, but time after time, Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said to them, Have you not heard? Didn't you hear? Now, they'd heard, hadn't they? None of the Pharisees, so far as we know, needed an audiologist. They heard, but the difficulty with them was they didn't listen. And there is a difference. They didn't listen. They were very good at hearing, but they were hard of listening. It's really possible to hear words and not really take them to heart. Not really listen to what is being said. You can hear the words. Satan dulls our hearing. And that causes, ultimately, the divorce that takes place between what we hear and what we do. 
The second step in the process of preparation is in verse 19, and that is to be slow to speak. To be slow to speak. One does not have to be a physician to simply observe that God has given to man two ears and one mouth. And I don't think one has to be a rocket scientist to believe that God intended that we listen twice as much as we speak. I'm going to just stop right here and ask you a personal question. Do you do that? Ever uh, have someone you carry on conversation with and, and uh, you're talking, but you can just tell in your mind they're just simply waiting for me to shut up so they can say what they're thinking about. Don't listen to me. They're thinking about what they're going to say when I stop speaking. James is talking here about a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. Two organs for listening. Only one for talking. You know, um, some of us may not have discovered yet that we don't learn a thing while we're talking. Surely you don't think you learn a lot while you're talking, do you? We only learn when we're listening. Did you know that? Ever thought about that? Illustration that works both ways with uh, an open ear and a controlled tongue. Drew University professor by the name of Dr. Matson. He was a communications expert. And he was to be honored at a very special gathering of the faculty of Drew University. And because his field of academic endeavor was communication, Professor Matson devised an experiment for that evening. As everyone passed through by him in the greeting line at the reception, he spoke one phrase to everybody that came through. Not in the same order, but he spoke the same one phrase to every individual that passed through the line. And that expression was, that phrase was, my grandmother died last night. Now that wasn't true, but that was part of his experiment. To everyone who went through the greeting line, he said that phrase, my grandmother died last night. And when he reported on his experiment, he said, I received such replies as, Congratulations, Dr. Matson. Others said, it's nice to see you here this evening, Dr. Matson. Some said, it's wonderful to have you with us. Most of them didn't hear what the man said. And that was his point. We'd rather use our tongues than use our ears. We don't listen. Third step in preparation, receiving the word. Receiving the implanted word was a calm spirit. Verse 19, the last phrase, to be slow to anger. To be slow to anger. Why should we be slow to anger, James? Well, he answers the question for us. Verse 20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. If I understand James correctly... When I'm angry, when you are angry, we do not achieve the righteousness of God. Isn't that what he says? 
the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I take it that is a blanket statement also. Our anger doesn't achieve God's righteousness. Anger blocks the reception of the word. One requirement for receiving the implanted and grafted word is a calm spirit. Calm spirit. I wonder if you've ever been in, in, a, in a worship service where you felt as though that just didn't do much for me or I didn't get very much out of that. I've been in a service like that. And usually the Lord reminds me of one or two things when I say that kind of thing to myself. First of all, the Lord reminds me, why did I come merely for what I could get out of it and not for what I could give? Ever come to a worship service, church, or revival meeting, or Bible conference, or whatever, Sunday school class, men's fellowship meeting, women's Fellowship meeting? Did you ever come to a meeting and just say, nah, I didn't get much out of that? How about the question, why did you come just to receive something? Why didn't you come to give something? And then one other thing that I am often reminded of <clears throat> when I come to a place like that could the agitation of my spirit be causing me not to hear the truth? There's a fourth preparation that's called for. That's in verse 21, the first part of the verse. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness. Filthiness was a Greek term. This is not very... um, I don't know what to call it. It's not something you really want to talk about a whole lot, but... The word, the Greek word for filthiness means wax in your ear. Remove all of that. Filthiness. Remove the sin and the dirt that hinders the reception of the truth. Second, James calls for putting aside of all that remains of wickedness. Look at the rest of that verse. And all that remains of the wickedness. So I think he talks about that which is um, for the Greek-speaking people, was, was that which hindered the hearing and the ear. But then James says, there's more to it than just that. That there are other things which impede our hearing as well. Things like wrong attitudes. Ever, ever go to church with the wrong attitude? <laughs> Ever go to church angry or upset with somebody? Ever had poor motives for going? I knew a man a number of years ago, and he said to me he went to church so he could make contacts to sell insurance. Wrong motive. Wrong motive. All those kinds of things. 
that which impedes hearing, and then other matters uh, James includes as well. Look at it again. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, and in humility receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let me use one other illustration. Talking about preparation here. Any of you ever done any painting? Most of us have. Um, I hate painting. I do. I hate painting. Now, I don't mind putting on the paint. I mind getting ready. You know, tape this, take that up, move this, do all these things. Those are the things which drive me batty. I tell my wife, honey, I'll paint if you'll get it ready. Frankly, that's, making, that's the easy part for me. You know, you can take a brush and a bucket and put the paint on. But you've got to get ready. Why is it that something we will spend a lot of time in that has no eternal value whatsoever? I mean, your painting your kitchen doesn't have any eternal value to it. But we'll spend a lot of time getting it ready. But we don't have the time. We won't take the time to spend time in getting ready to receive the implanted word with humility. We won't take that time. Let me ask you a question. You probably knew last night or yesterday. You probably knew you were coming to church this morning. God bless you for that planning. But did you do anything to plan yesterday? Did you do anything to plan last night? about how you're going to get to church this morning. From time to time, and I tell you this because you'll see me anyway, sometimes I'll stand out here or out front and watch people get out of the car. I love to do that. (laughs) I mean, you talk about an education, that's it. You know, car pulls in and four doors fly open and everybody's running this way and that way and mom's calling somebody back, you forgot this. You didn't get this. Here's your Bible. Uh, all kinds of stuff. And sometimes, quite frankly, folks, you can tell when mom and dad are at odds when you see them get out of cars anymore. Sometimes I've never seen such cold, icy stairs. Sometimes I've had the feeling that, yeah, uh, that fellow's going to move the car as soon as his wife is out of sight. What did you do to prepare to come to church? Did you read your word of God? Did you pray? Having done all the preparation, and we've gone through the steps, and I've annotated some of them, We're ready now for the reception of the truth. 121, uh, in humility, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here we come now. We've done the preparation. Now we're going to receive the implanted word. And this reception is characterized by humility. And that word humility means gentleness. To have a teachable spirit. Again, we... I think our church is blessed. We have had a number of school teachers here, and God bless their souls. That is a challenge. Uh, And we've had plenty of gifted men and women teach school. I thank God for every one of them. They have done the students. I know our teachers. I know people that have taught. They have done their students well. I am convinced of that. But have you ever tried to teach anybody that just wasn't going to learn? They didn't want to learn. And you can't make people learn when they don't want to learn. It makes no difference how good a teacher you are. If they come into the classroom and sit down and they are just determined, I'm not going to listen to her today. I'm not going to listen to him today. I'm not going to do a word. I'm not going to write a note. 
You can give me a zero if you want to. I'm not going to do it. Just the opposite of a teachable spirit. Or anything even resembling a teachable spirit. We need to have a teachable spirit. You know, dear people, I can't teach the Bible without making some applications. And I think it would be wrong for me to do that. And spiritually speaking, I, I won't make this application. Spiritually speaking, we're, we're, we're kind of finicky eaters. To take in the Word of God with a teachable spirit. But uh, being a finicky eater, we don't always want to do that. We pick and choose. Often the meal isn't prepared quite the way we would like to have it prepared, so we won't eat it. I'm talking about spiritual food. Through the years, I have watched as we've had guest speakers, um, and, and this is in place I served in Dallas as well. It's not something that's uncommon for all churches. Watched guest speakers come and go, missionaries, revival speakers, um, community leaders about this subject or that subject. I want to take one illustration. It has not been with you folks, but it has been elsewhere, my experience. Missionaries, I've always believed, should have a very significant part in the life of the church. Not just support, but get the missionaries into the pulpit as much as we can. People need to know our missionaries. They will come to love them. And we support what they do. So we need to hear from them. We need to know what's going on. But I've had the experience of Announcing the missionary is going to be in the pulpit a certain date. And people stay home in droves. I believe personally one mark of spiritual maturity in a church is that as long as the word is being preached, the saints come. Who is it to say that has to be a great teacher or they can't teach me anything? Who is it to say, if that preacher is not at least 30 years old, I'm not going to listen to him. He doesn't he live long to know anything. If that preacher is over 80 years old, he's too old to know anything. Must be this, must be that. Let's not be finicky eaters of the Word of God. To have a teachable spirit, to receive the Word of God with that kind of a spirit. As long as the word is being taught, to God be the glory. It is His word. And we ought to receive it. Well, there's preparation for the word. We've looked at some particular steps. There's the reception of the word. And then finally, there is the response to the word in verses 22 to 27. How do we, how do we respond to spiritual food? Well... James gives us a command, verse 22. But prove yourselves, one of the most familiar verses, I think, in James and perhaps all the New Testament. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Wonderful truth. Look at it. Don't be hearers only, but be doers. We aren't to take in the truth and then do nothing about it. We take in the truth and then act on the truth. 
we aren't to be doers without being hearers. What that means is that we are no more than activists without information. We're to be both. We be we hear the word of God and we do the word of God. By itself, neither one is acceptable. There has to be a balance. We we hear and then we do. The word hearers in the first century, it meant auditors in an academic sense, in a scholastic sense. Have you ever watched a person, have you ever been in a class where you had some people auditing that class? I have. One of the last classes I had in seminary, we had a fellow who audited the class. He was the most relaxed person in class. He filled up his notebook with notes and he left every day happy as a lark and didn't do a lick between the next class. He had no exams. He had no papers to do. He had no responsibilities. Nothing. He was an auditor. He came in and listened and went his merry way and did absolutely zero. You know, folks, we can audit church too. Isn't that another meaning for being hearers and not doers. We're just auditing. What proof is there in my life and what proof is there in your life? I ask myself before I ask you, what proof is there in our lives that we're not auditing? James gives a great illustration. Verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself... And gone his way, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. You know, I thought about this week. That scared me. What if everybody in this room this morning had just gotten out of bed, dressed, looked in the mirror, and forgot what they saw in the mirror and came to church? God, help us. I scare myself when I look in the mirror in the morning. Try to do something about it. Looking in the mirror. He sees that uh, piece of a man. He sees he's got a nice growth of beard. Hair's all tasseled. Maybe stayed up too late. Eyes are red and puffy. He looks in the mirror. He turns away from the mirror and forgets all about it. Verse 25 does present a positive side happily. But one who looks intently in the perfect law, that's the mirror, the law of liberty, and abides in it, having not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. What does a hearer and a doer of the word of God look like? Well, James concludes with that, and I want to conclude with that also. 26 and 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, that's item one in what a hearer and a doer looks like. He has a bridled tongue, a controlled tongue. I called it earlier in the message. He has a controlled tongue. He does not bridle his tongue, yet deceives his own heart. This man is worthless. 
Those are strong words from James. Worthless. So that's one thing. He's got a, a, a bridle or controlled tongue. Verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and the Father. What is that, James? To visit orphans and widows in their distress. That's the second thing a hearer and a doer is involved with. To visit the widows and the orphans. There's a third. End of verse 27. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. To keep oneself pure. That's what a hearer and a doer looks like. Question. For pastor, for those in the pew. Is there a divorce going on in your life? Or are you a hearer and a doer of the word of God? Control, tongue, visit the widow and the orphan. And to keep, keep oneself pure. Keep oneself unspotted and stained from the world. May God make of us hearers and doers. Pray with me. Father, we realize our inadequacy, our foibles. We cannot be a hearer and a doer of the Word of God apart from your grace and apart from your enabling. I pray if there is in my life or the life of anyone within the sound of my voice, if there is this divorce going on by what we between what we hear and what we do, I pray that you would bring correction for that. Thank you that we can depend upon you to work in our hearts. I pray that you would give us an openness to your spirit as he would speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I don't know where everybody is in their walk with the Lord or in their coming to the Lord. Many I do. And I am blessed and I'm richer because I know that. But there are folks here that I don't know. And therefore, I don't know where you are spiritually. And as pastor of the church, I want to know. I want to know. And I'm not asking for a verbal response, okay? But I am asking, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior? Have you believed Paul's message, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Have you believed what he said about the wages of sin being death, but the gift of God being eternal life? Have you come to a place in your life where you have said to Jesus, I am a sinner for whom you died. And right now, I want to trust you as my personal Savior. Have you come to that place in your life? If you haven't, there's no better day than today. 
My message this morning has been directed to Christian people. But God speaks to folks in a worship service in ways that I haven't even a clue about. God can take somebody who walked into a worship service never even having mentioned the name of Jesus and in a very short time work in the heart of that individual and bring that individual to trust Jesus. Are you a Christian this morning? Dear friend, I know that you probably expect a preacher to say it. And they should. If you don't know Jesus, today's the best day you're ever going to have to do it. To know that somebody loves you enough to die for you. What a thought. What a thought. Somebody loved this wretch enough to die for him. Somebody loved you enough to die for you. What are you going to do with that truth? I hope you'll listen to it. Take it to heart. If you're in this place this morning and God is speaking to your heart about trusting Him and you want to make a public profession of your faith in Jesus, you come. I'll meet you here. We'll talk about it. You can trust Jesus today. There's no long list. There's no great application. Thank you for dying for me, Lord. I'm trusting you as my Savior. That's what it's all about, dear people. If you're in this place this morning and you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, the second invitation would be if He has spoken to your heart about linking your life with Wake Chapel Church, you're welcome here. And if you'd like to come, I'll be happy to meet you here. God bless you for being in worship this morning. I trust that the Word of God has been an encouragement to your heart and that the Spirit of God would enable all of us, as I said earlier this morning, to be more like Jesus now than when we walk through the door this morning. That's my prayer. God bless you. Please take your worship folder with you We've got some 30, almost 30 young people. And honestly, there's only one young person in all that group that knows anything about being up on a roof and doing work. And that's Daniel C. <laughs> the rest of those guys don't know diddly. Uh, they might try to use a tennis racket to drive a nail in on the roof. Now, you don't have to tell them I said that, okay? You will anyway, won't you? <laughs> Pray for them. Safety. Um, our world is in a turmoil. Uh, Wednesday afternoon is their afternoon off. They will be going to the Inner Harbor in Baltimore then. It's a lovely place. I've been there. Uh, it's a lovely place. Nice restaurants. Um, I don't know why they're going to the one they're going to, Bubba Gump's or something. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> That's where they're going, but uh, that wouldn't be my choice anyway. But pray for them, would you please? You've got these names. Take them with you. They need your prayers. And then they drive up, up I-95. Well, if you've ever done any driving at all, you know I-95 
Wow. Uh, if you're doing 75, you're going to get run over by a truck because they're going to do 85. Whatever. Uh, they've got to come back. They'll leave it. Um, they'll get up at 5 o'clock on, Friday, on, excuse me, on Saturday morning uh, and leave as soon as they can get packed up. And they hope to be back here at the church at 1 o'clock on Saturday. Do pray for them. Do pray for them. Mr. Acuff, our deacon of the day, would you come pray for us, please? God bless you, brother. After he leads us in prayer, we will sing, God be with you, until we meet again. If you're our guest, when you leave here on your left, there'll be a deacon, someone there to give you a, a small gift package just to say thank you for worshiping with us today. To anyone in, in this room this morning, if you do not have a Bible as your own, on your left, there will be a, a, a long table and there will be Bibles on it there for you. It would be a blessing to you to have one and it would be a blessing for us for you to take one. Pray for us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for today the gift that you've given us to be here and to worship with fellow believers. We thank you, Lord, that we have heard your word, that our pastors preach without compromise your word from the pulpit. That is a blessing. We've heard your word, Lord, and I ask that you would make each one of us now willing to go out and be doers of the word. We pray for our mission of the day for Ashley and Heather Holloman. Lord, we ask you to bless their work for you as they minister to the graduate students and the faculty at Penn State University. It's an incredible responsibility that they've taken on that you've entrusted to them. And Lord, help us each one to be faithful to support them. Thank you. It's a, it's a blessing. It is a, a responsibility that we have to be supportive of them. And Lord, I pray that we would each one take that seriously with our finances, with our prayers, and with our emotional support for them. Thank you for uh, their work, and thank you, Lord, that they are doers of your word at Penn State. As we leave, Lord, watch over those that are here. Give us a good and a safe week. And for those that are not with us, particularly our youth, Lord, we ask you to keep them safe and to bless their ministry to grow your kingdom for your glory. Watch over our nation, Lord, and draw us together. May we look to you as our only source of strength and hope. In Jesus' name, amen.